From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. I was on a walking tour of downtown Rochester, Minnesota, with some economic development folks when we passed by a storefront. At least it looked like a storefront with windows that were open to reveal products and production in process. Only the product they were making was prosthetic limbs. Limb Lab is kind of like the Apple store of prosthetics. And Brandon Sampson is a certified prosthetist... Prosthetist. We worked on this alley. (laughs) Okay, there we go. I've been practicing and practicing, and I've still failed. Um, He's a certified prosthetist. Yes, excellent. And he's the co-founder of Lim Lab, combining art and innovation to meet the functional goals of people with limb loss. Talk about business with purpose. I'm delighted to introduce you to Brandon Sampson. How long did you know how to say what you do before no, you no, started doing it? No, no, it took me many, it? many tries. It is, I had very kind people help me too. Well, thank you for yeah, being kind to me. Yeah. It is one of those, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to say. Prosthetics is easy, but yep. prosthetics. Yeah, that's really it's good. Tricky. Thank nice you. Job. You'll never forget it now. I never will. I never will. So, Brandon, since this is audio, I'm going to just address what I know our listeners are probably going to be wondering, and that is you yourself do not have a prosthetic limb. I do not. But you did have an accident as a child mm-hmm. that influenced your decision to go into this field. Can right. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I grew up on a farm. Uh, I'm a in farm Minnesota? kid. Dan, Lyle, Minnesota, a town of 500 people in south, uh, south of Austin. So that's where I spent, you know, all of my childhood on a hog farm uh, and was it, you know, I'm a multi-generational farmer family. And uh, when I was eight years old, uh, middle of winter, one of my jobs was to come home from school and help my dad clean out, you know, the hog pens. And so I was holding on to the end of a big uh, outdoor fence and moving that back and forth, and uh, a pig was going to get out. So I took the fence and went over and stopped the pig and then backed the fence up with my hand over the end of it. And at the same time, my dad was backing up with the skid loader and smashed it between the fence and the skid loader. So that started a whole process, really, of, you know, I was rushed to the hospital, I was rushed to Mayo Clinic where the fabulous hand team saved my hand, saved my fingers, and put it all back together. And I'm showing this to you now. Yeah. People can't see it, but, you know, some are short. They stopped growing when I was, you know, a, a young kid. How old were you when this happened? Eight. Okay. And so, um, but through many, many months of physical therapy and about nine surgeries, I, I, re- I was regained full function of my hand. I can't straighten it all the way, mm-hmm. but I have good strength and I can bend it. And from that very moment in time, it set me on two paths, really. Uh, my my surgeon suggested to my parents that I start playing a musical instrument to keep my fingers moving. Huh. And so they bought me a guitar. And uh, maybe some other time I'll tell you about my other life as, a, uh, as an Americana 
musician in a band right. uh, writing songs, two. right? <laughs> but uh, the other thing it did was really got me interested in, in what these surgeons were doing to help kids and to put them back together. And I spent a lot of time thinking about that through my high school and college years. And when I ended up finally at Luther College uh, majoring biology, my advisor pulled me aside my junior year and said, you know, Brandon, you remind me of a guy I know that makes artificial limbs. And I was hmm. like, what? You know, I never even heard of this profession before. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, you should go check this out. Go check this field out. It's kind of becoming more popular. So I was all set to do pre-med and be an orthopedic surgeon and do, you know, what I had, had so gratefully received and care with my hand many years ago. But when I saw people interacting with people who are missing limbs and building a functional tool for them in the same day, you know, from start to finish, creating something that never existed before. And at the end of the day, they had something and they were walking. I was like, wow, this is really, this is what I want to do. Hmm. And just like that, I knew it. And so I went to school after Luther to White Bear Lake to Century College, became a certified prosthetist, <laughs> and then did my residency. And uh, how, how many years does it take to become a prosthetist? So it's four years of a undergrad in some sort of science. Luckily, I had biology. Then it was two-year master's program in prosthetics and orthotics, mm -hmm. and then a two-year residency in prosthetics and orthotics at a functioning facility somewhere in the United States, an accredited um, facility. And then you can sit for your boards, three different board exams, and then you can try to get a job hmm. and uh, start your life as so a prosthetist. it's almost as, a as long as being a doctor. I mean, yeah, kinda... you know, it's, it's close. Do you feel like we should call you doctor? No. Okay. No. No, there's lots of things that separate us from physicians, <laughs> but we do interact. That's the other thing about it. You know, deep down, I thought, man, it would be really cool to, because that was the only way that I knew how to interact with patients was to be a physician. But today, we are part of the care team. We're part of uh, the team that surrounds the, the patient that needs a prosthesis or orthosis is in the center and all around them are their support staff, which include the physician, uh, that you know, usually a physical medicine physician or the surgeon, a physical therapist, a prosthetist, sometimes a social worker, and then the rest of their family that's kind of cheering for them as well. Hmm. So where does one get a job once you have all of this certification? Well, if you're super talented and you're nice uh -huh. and you have good people skills and you like to create things and you dress well, you could apply at Lim Lab. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or... But where was your first job <laughs> since you had to invent that job for yourself? Um, you know, there's, there's a... So I'm going to give you some statistics here. One out of every 200 people in the United States wear a prosthesis. Wow. It's that high. Every day there's 500 amputations in the United States. That is wild. No I... one knows that. No one realizes. And if you think about it, if you think about the 200 people you know, you probably know of someone or know someone who knows someone mm -hmm. who wears a prosthesis. How much of that is military-related versus civilian? Hardly any military. Really? Um, there's some st statistics on that, and I'll get them wrong, but it's shockingly low, the number of amputations that have come from the current conflicts. Primarily, 
uh, the good things that come from, if there are good things that come from awareness of our, our, our service members that lose limbs, is that they're high profile, people know about it, and it helps drive um, improvements in care mm-hmm. for the rest of the, of the people. Um, 80% of the amputations in the United States are because of diabetes. Hmm. Wow. Um, 10% from cancer. It used to be much higher, but because treatments have gotten so much better, surgeons are able to save limbs and, uh, you know, keep people, keep people active and using original equipment. Mm-hmm. And then the other are traumatic, you know, motorcycles mostly. Accidents, mm-hmm. yeah. What did Dancing with the Stars do for your industry? They've had a couple of uh, yeah. prosthetic limbs, haven't they? Well, Is that a good that's boost? that's a great segue <laughs> into... <laughs> Really, the whole and maybe it's too early to jump into the kind of the genesis of Lim Lab or the retail space. Mm-hmm. But some somewhere around that time uh, in 2013 is when I I left my job of 15 years. I did work for another prosthetic company and kind of worked my way from the very bottom to the very top and ultimately out. And and when you say was this a, this is a private company. You're not working company, for yeah. a hospital nope. or a prosthetic. I mean that's mainly its own Yeah, most private industry. There's about uh there's about just under 3,000 private companies in the United States making artificial limbs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you worked your way up and out yep. and said I'm I doing have, my own thing. Yeah, I have some I have some ideas that, you know, I just I really tried to express my ideas to to this company to show them how to reinvent themselves after being in business for almost 30 years but my ideas did not align with the 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 owners of the company who were much you know on their exit plan mm-hmm. there was well, a huge difference in our in our thinking and in our trajectory like what what was it that you were seeing that they weren't doing um, investment in in kind of rebranding and and growing into different locations and basically, you know, invest reinvesting in the company to grow and, and continue to be relevant for another 25 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just didn't line up with where they were at in life. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it worked out great because then I got to go and and put all those ideas to good use, which were no, noticing in general the, the sort of change in how people were viewed with prosthetics, especially seeing things in advertisements. Um, people were sort of shifting away from wanting to cover up and hide mm-hmm. their prosthetic limb, and they wanted to show it off. They, they wanted to view it as maybe a chance to recreate themselves as a new lease, so to speak, after having, you know, after having suffering limb loss. I remember um, going to camp, so this is a way as a back, um, with a girl who had an artificial limb, and it was sort of, it, it was trying to look as much like a real arm as it could, but it didn't. And I feel like now you tend to see more robotic, yeah. you know, cool. I mean, is is that, does that align with the change that like instead of trying to make something that looks real that isn't, we try to make them look really mm-hmm. high tech? Yeah, the... The biggest thing about, I think, the shift in prosthetics these days, especially with our company, is focusing on function over form. Okay. Where in the past, it was always form. 
And, so trying to hide and making the, up uh-huh. and replacing. Interesting. And it never really could. I tell people all the time when I sit down with them that, you know, I'm I'm really sorry that this happened to you. And 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 you should realize there's no replacement for original equipment. But here's my here's my brilliant ideas for you. A blank sheet of paper. This is my plan. And they look at me and I say, I want you to tell me five things that you want to be able to do. And we list them. And I can help guide them into creating them a tool to meet those goals. Maybe it's one tool. Maybe it's two tools. But they get it. And at the end of that journey, they have then a roadmap for what has value to them and success from day one. They have a tool that they can do a task with. And it's not giving them a hand back because that will never happen. No matter what, it mm-hmm. won't. Um, but I can give them a tool to use to help stabilize a, a pot on a stove. I can give them a tool to help carry a laundry basket to fold clothes, to carry their purse while they open their car door with their other hand. I mean, these simple, simple things, just like you did, hold the water bottle with their prosthetic hand and open the top as opposed to putting it down between your legs. Sure. And, you and know, doing it with one hand. It's about yeah. efficiency. It's about function. So, but each one is really, uh, you start from scratch each I do. time? I do. I had no idea. I figured there's just a recipe for an arm or a leg or yeah. I didn't realize. So back up a second. When <laughs> you left your job and mm-hmm. said, I'm going to create my own company, um, what what were the steps that you took? What did you have to do well, to set it up? Well, the first step was... Um, I, I have three children and, and a lovely wife, and uh, I was the only income, and uh, we had just had our third child. She was three weeks old, and, um, and I told my wife that I, I, have to, I have to quit my job. I have, to, I have to do my own thing, and she's like, oh. <laughs> like oh, right now? Like now? <laughs> I was like, Yeah. Yeah, like now. So, so we really talked about it, and we kind of made some changes, and and decided to do it, and said, okay, we have six months, Let's see what we can do in six months. So I quit with a three-week-old baby and uh, two other ones at home, and uh, and I, because I woke up in the middle of the night, and this is no kidding, and I was like, why, why is it so, why is it bothering me so much that that. I cared so much about the place that I worked and I and I gave all these ideas but with a stroke of a pen they could be the ideas could be just dismissed and I had no say. And and I and I woke up in the middle of the night that night and I made a list of all my family members and all the people that I knew and that I hung out with and I admired and the thing was they all the only people I knew were people that owned businesses. Hmm. All my family members, even though they're farmers, they were still risk takers and could at least live and die by the choices that they made. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I wanted. I didn't care if I succeeded or failed. I just wanted to feel like it was my doing. And you hadn't really ever, because you were so early on on this path towards medicine and orthopedics and then prosthetics, like you hadn't really stopped to think, I'm actually an entrepreneur at right. heart. Right. And it I hit would, you. There was things along the way that kind of put, 
let me stay busy in that realm, like taking on different roles with the company as director of marketing. So I felt, ooh, I could create this thing and I had some had some say here and I could do this and then manage a crew and you know and so like little things gave me the sense that I tr- that I was doing something creative but it was still not for me mm-hmm. and not that it needed to be for me but it felt like it needed I needed to <laughs> I needed to you know reap the the decisions that I was going to make and I remember when I wrote down that list and I and I thought about the path okay I could probably just stay at this job making fine money, just have no expectations and ride it out for 30 years, retire, be good. Like I knew my path. And then there's this other path that I could quit and I could try something myself with a couple partners and it's completely unknown. And and that path was the the only choice that I knew. Hmm. Like I had to take that path and I still do every day when I wake up. So where did you find the partners? Where did you get? I have to think it's got to take some money to open a company that's going to manufacture artificial limbs. How did you do that? Well, um, it was not uh, easy, but I, I did have some great partners. I do have some great partners and we all were good at different things. Um, we spent some time just kind of meeting in my barn in Pine Island, coming up with ideas. And over the years, you know, we all had different connections to different people in the prosthetic and orthotic industry. So we Are your partners out. also trained? Yeah. Um... <clears throat> yep. One, one is a trained pros- one was a trained prosthetist and, and the, and one is more business orientated. And so we, at that time, you know, reached out to the connections we had in the industry, just asking advice. Mm-hmm saying, you know, here's our idea. And, uh, and it was at a time when the industry as a whole was really scared. They were scared of RAC audits, which are recovery audits from Medicare, which are Medicare coming back to different uh, providers of prosthetics and orthotics, of knee braces, of wheelchairs, of things like that, and saying, ah, that documentation isn't right. We're going to take our money back. Hmm. That's scary. Yeah. And um, so we asked this advice from a lot of industry leaders, and we were like, you know, are we crazy to Mm -hmm. even try to get into this right now? Because all these legacy owners of all these companies across the country are scared, and they're having to send money back to the payers, you know? <clears throat> and the best advice was a, a we a partner we had for about three years, um, very very experienced veteran in the industry, and we kind of needed him to bounce ideas off of. But he was our biggest champion. He said, "You know, if you can succeed in a moment of chaos, you'll do just fine when it's not chaotic." Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying that, and and we thought, well. You know, we know all the rules in terms of proper billing and compliance. Let's set our business. I mean, it sounds so simple. Let's set up our business plan uh, and what it would take to follow the rules. And uh, our prices are all set by Medicare. So let's make everything work dollar for dollar based on Medicare allowable, not not a not a futuristic dollar amount or something less. Let's just take it for what it is 
and let's see how we could do this. Are you normally being paid by insurance? Not mm-hmm. It's not an individual. It's not the patient. Right. It's um, a small portion is patient responsibility, but that's all according to your insurance plan. If you've met your deductible, then your insurance pays uh, according to your plan. But every plan is different. You know, we're contracted with over, you know, two or three hundred insurance companies across the country. Right and now. do you also have to partner with hospitals or doctors' offices? Is I mean, is it like a referral business, or if somebody needs an artificial limb, do they go shopping for who they want to make it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All the ways. Yes, it is. Okay. It's it's un- incredible. But it never used to be like that. For many, many years, because no one knew that this was a, a thing that you could, you know, find on a street corner in Rochester, Minnesota, mm-hmm. it was heavily referral-based. So if a person had an amputation, their surgeon would say, um, here's a prescription for an artificial limb. There's one place in town that does it. Go down there and see if they can help you. Hmm. And this person then would go down into some, you know, corner of a building, um, hidden, kind of messy, like Geppetto's shop, <laughs> right? And they'd get combo meal number one. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't really think about shopping around. No. And I remember... This is my 20th year of doing this. Um, in those early days of my career, when I would fill an order, I'd fill a prescription for a prosthetic limb, my client, at the end of the session, you know, I'd, I'd say, okay, here's the paperwork. We're going to submit this to insurance. Would you like to know what it costs? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, my insurance will take all. I got great insurance. My insurance will take care of that. Well, fast forward 15 years, opening Limb Lab pretty strong presence visually and people are coming in off the street saying, hey, I've had this prosthesis for three years. It's not really working very well. Can you help me? And what's it going to cost? Mm. So it really it really had an effect on how we shaped our business model of, of meeting with clients and talking to them you know, straight up about their responsibility, we prior authorize everything on their behalf. We let them know right up front, this equipment is this much out of pocket for you. It's this much if we go a different direction. What do, what do you think? What are your choices? What do you want to do? Is it worth it? And then they see value for the function that we're helping them uh, gain. So are you more expensive than the average? No. Artist? See, that's the thing. We We don't set our prices. We're the same price as everybody. Got it. I mean, just give me a ballpark. I have no mm-hmm. idea. What does it cost on average to, yeah, to get so, an artificial limb? Well, uh, let's just start with the most common, which is a left below the knee or transtibial. So an amputation right through the shin. Okay. Left, left? side. Why is left more? Uh, um, I think there's a couple reasons. Um, from what I've heard, it's you know it's on the center line. When you're riding a motorcycle, oh, uh, it's the furthest away from the heart in terms of circulation. So things, you know, tend to interesting to be less oxygenated there. And then uh, it just it just always happens that way. I don't know. Okay, but so an average <clears throat> prosthesis from uh, you know mid shin down, prosthetic foot, prosthetic socket, 
all the bells and whistles, somewhere in the twelve to $15,000 range at the low end, somewhere in the twenty to 30000 in the high end. Okay. Depending on functionality of the components. Sure. The, the way that insurance has changed in recent years, I mean, does, has that impacted Absolutely. Your every day. Okay. Um, however, for companies like us that are young and agile and, you know, really able to change, uh, we can we work closely with insurance companies because we want to do the right thing by them and we want to advocate for a physician's patient to get what they need to be more functional. So we spend a lot of time putting together a story. Why? Why does this person need this type of prosthesis? What are they going to do with it? What can they do with it? We take videos of what they do with it and then we build this little packet and we submit that and it usually... Hmm. Usually gets paid. So when you were setting up your shop, you made a conscious decision to be visit. I mean, I, I assume you made a conscious decision to be located walking distance from Mayo Clinic mm-hmm. and to be visible to the public, to be literally like a storefront. Why was that important to you? When we were designing the space, um, there were certain rules that I had to follow since I left a company in town that I couldn't contact anybody that I used to work with. So I thought, might as well make it blatantly obvious where I am. (laughs) So that was like the original idea. I was like, well, I'll just put up a big sign. You can't say it, but you can show it. Yeah. (laughs) And be like, hey, I'm here. And that worked. But it also worked for... for, and then we just got to reinvent like what it, what it is that we wanted the vibe to feel like in our office. And so you'll have to, when you come into Lim Lab, you know it's very open, um, very inviting. You can see the you can see the the fabricating center from the lobby and from the street. I actually walked in. I mean, oh, I would did. never. Yeah. Yes, I would never have imagined that I would just walk in to a prosthetic lab. But there yeah. you were. People come in all the time, every day. People are like, what do you guys do here? Uh-huh. And uh, you know, so we show them around, and we're proud of it. And all the people that work there are proud of what they do and what they're creating. But that was on design. That that specifically was on design because we wanted to design the patient experience to feel like they were part of the process. They get to have a choice. They get to be part of this collaborative process with their prosthetist or orthotist or even other clients that are in the building receiving care. They can see people walking for the first time from the lobby through frosted glass windows. They can see their their prosthetist or orthotist working on their device in the back. They can hear the noises of us, you know, shaping things in the back room. And from the street, you can see white mannequins that uh, are only presenting prosthetic limbs. And all of that was done just because we could. And it, and it wasn't our first design. We, we caught ourselves um, designing what we knew. Mm-hmm. Designing, put the shop in the back, close off the lobby. Like the place you had worked previously. Yeah, or uh, every other place in the country. Yeah. They're all the same. And so we, we hired an architect and we started talking about what it is that we actually do. What we do. Prosthetists and orthotists connect people to parts. Hmm. Okay. So throughout the entire design concept, when we gutted this, this suite, our architect left the steel bolts that were stuck into the cement 
and exposed the you know, metal frames working with leather and giant wood pieces and, and brought all these elements together to kind of, you know, to, to make a space that reflected what it is that we do. Mm-hmm. Do you, how has, Lim Lab has been around for how long now? Since October of 2013. Um, and how, was it an immediate hit? Did hospitals want to work with you? Was there resistance because you were so different? Well, it, it's just been, it's just been a constant, it's, well, I, here's, this might answer it. We started with three of us in October of 2013, and now we have 28 employees in four <laughs> locations. So it's... Four locations in Minnesota or where uh, else are we you? We have La Crosse, Wisconsin. Is our our fourth in uh, not in Minnesota? The rest are Rochester, Mankato, Minneapolis, La Crosse. Will you continue? Oh, yeah. growing. Yeah, that's the plan. Was that always your vision? Our vision from the very beginning, we identified this little concept called glue. Guys and girls like us. What is it about us? that drove us to want to create our own business and be part of an exciting organization uh, in, in, the, in the space of prosthetics and orthotics. And it was, you know, we had, we had a decent amount of knowledge, you know, 10 to 15 years experience. And we just wanted to feel like we could, we could make decisions and, and our decisions would be heard and try to do a little better for our clients and our families. Very simple things. And so that's how we're going to grow. Uh, every everybody that appro- we we hardly search for uh, you know employees. They kind of find us and they hear about what we're doing, and we we can spend at least thirty seconds with them. And I know, you know, if if they're going to be a good fit, and and lots of them are. And so that's how we're growing. Is just solving the people problem first, and then build a build a supportive, supportive structure around them, you know, supportive brand of Lim Lab around that talent. Do you have investors? I have to imagine you needed a lot of equipment and expertise or, I mean, to get this off the ground, did it require investors? Um, it re- we, so yeah, we, it's, it's all privately owned, but, um, in those first few months, uh, there was lots of things going on that that were trying there's lots of forces trying to squash us you know um the the company that i had that i had worked for you know filed a lawsuit against me and and my two other partners uh claiming a non-compete thing that mm. that wasn't there and and that just took time mm-hmm. for us to get through so you know at the vice of our attorneys we just and they said, just go build your business. We'll handle this. And they did. It was great. You know, <laughs> we got, we just built our business and, uh, and we tried to, you know, keep going throughout that. So that was really a struggle. Um, and, and it lasted 18 months, you know, and, and once we got through that, it was just such a relief, you know, cause it was like this kind of black cloud over us and, and it had the de- it had the desired effect, I think, that my former employers wanted. It slowed us down a little bit, but not quite enough. And uh, we stuck through it. We just knew that this was worth fighting for, and we dug our heels in, and we mm-hmm. and we got out the other side. 
are <clears throat> others around the country looking at what you're doing? Do you feel like you're changing the industry? It seems like you are from here, but maybe yeah. I'm biased. No, it. Uh, I don't. It's hard to. It's hard to say. I don't really think about it that way. Um. I know that we must be we must be disrupting something mm-hmm. because when we go to conferences and things, people, I guess, mostly know who we are and want to <laughs> have lunch, right? You're rock star, but it's really interesting because I don't even think about that. I just think about the next thing always, every day. What can we do to improve? What can we do to 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 ensure the brand? How can we in, in strengthen things? How can we support the people that are that that you know are now on the team? I used to wake up every day when we started, and I would think about the old place. You know, I'd mm-hmm. think about those those guys, and and I don't even it's not it doesn't even cross my mind to think about any other company because there's so much to focus on that's good and growing and exciting. At Lim Lab, it seems like there's a lot of innovation in the field. Does does a Lim Lab limb look different than if I got a limb from somewhere else? How so? Yeah, so the part that that we really work on it's the artistry part, and that is the way that we're molding the limbs. So when I meet with a, a person that's missing a limb, a prosthetist is responsible for creating an intimate shaped fit to their anatomy, okay? A comfortable, intimate fit shape to their anatomy socket, which then we can connect anything to. But if that socket is not comfortable or not fitting right, the rest doesn't matter if you'd put a $10,000 foot on it or a you know, $100,000 hand on it. It's not going to be great. So what I think sets us apart, kind of our possibly one one ingredient of our secret sauce might be the amount of time and attention we give to forming that that custom molded socket by hand and making it part of their body an extension of them we spend a lot of time mm-hmm. doing that and i talk a lot to my residents about doing that and and teaching and sharing ideas trying to get better at that, using different materials, using different ways to hold things on and always learning and watching what other uh, smart people are coming up with. Yeah. What's the coolest innovation you've seen in recent years in the space of artificial limbs? I do a lot of upper extremity work. Um, Most other companies in the country, uh, about 3% of their total work is upper extremity prosthetics. But in ours, it's probably closer to 30, maybe more. Uh, the advancements of of microprocessor-controlled hands, even though they'll never repl- you know never replace original equipment, they uh, the control systems are pretty cool now. Mm-hmm. Very intuitive, uh, pattern recognition. So. I should. That's what I should have brought is some demos. We could yeah. have like, could have like showed some stuff. But <laughs> um, ways in which we're we're capturing the signals on people's body and working with surgeons to 
to give us good signals uh, in, in their patient's limbs. So a couple of the physicians in Rochester are doing targeted muscle reinnervation, which means they take these, these nerves that are just cut off and they'll split them and stick them back into muscle and attach them and have them grow so that when a person in their mind moves their thumb, this muscle moves. That's or amazing. their fingers, they'll move this. And then so what we do is put an array of electrodes all over their limb, embed it into the prosthetic handmade socket that we make, connect it to a hand and a wrist, hook them up to a computer, and the computer says, hey, person that's wearing this pattern recognition system, do something that feels like closing your hand. So they just do that. And the computer takes a picture of the pattern. Now... Do something that turns your wrist in. Do something wrist out. Uh, open your fingers. And it'll record that stuff. And it says, okay, your control has been built. Now the person just does <laughs> what they used to do, and the, and the machine that is wild. copies it. And yeah. you know how to do that. I do. That's so crazy. I do. I was going to show you. You can see if you can. This is probably one of the wildest um, devices that I've built lately. It's a really cool technique that I'm using to, uh, to make. Well, you have to describe for yeah, our well, listeners I maybe what's you could happening. Describe okay, it. I want to hear you kind of describe what this <laughs> looks like here. So here. Okay. It's a hand, an art of, that's opening and closing. Fingers are gripping. And so this black part of this carbon fiber socket is kind of a, a nice lightweight material that we're using. And then we we squeeze his limb in a way that makes the tissue pop out those holes and holds on. Mm -hmm. And then he has this robotic hand that we hired an artist to come in and we took a clear mold of that hand and had the artist come in and paint the, the glove from the inside out to copy his other side. So if you look at the detail of that. It looks like a real hand. Even what, dirt what under the fingernails. That's crazy. Why would you want the dirt under the fingernails? Well, what, what material is this? That's silicone, high-resolution silicone. That's wild. So how do you keep up on all of this innovation? We have really strong partnerships with the manufacturers of these types of devices. Okay. We sort of broke them down into like our six marquee vendor partners, and and they're motivated to educate us on their latest product because that means we'll know about it, and we might be willing to showcase it at our shop for I people see. to see and to try it on them or maybe suggest it that they try it. Sure. We're motivated to learn about it because we're required to have 75 credits of or continuing education credits, you know, every five mm. years. All our residents need to be trained on this stuff. So, for, you know, at least once a month, one of our marquee partners will come in, train our staff on all their latest things, and uh, we'll learn about who might want to learn about this for uh, one of our clients. And then it just kind of keeps cycling like that. So we're constantly yeah. being up updated. How much of your time is spent working with patients and actually developing um, prosthetics versus running a business? Yeah, every day except Monday between 8 and 2. Every day what? 
you're doing everything. No, every uh, eight between eight and two on Mondays, uh-huh. I focus on working on the business. I see, and the rest of the time in it. It's it's and and how do you feel about that's I'm that's, I'm slowly trying to work on it more than a little it. more. But my my two partners, you know, we all have different talents. So our chief growth officer, um, you know, he he's awesome, and he just joined us back in uh, September. He's in charge of you know kind of the growth of external growth and internal growth of our employees, and my partner from the very beginning, Marty Frana, the CEO, he. He knows everything, the business in and out, but he's he he has his role of you know watching the books and making sure that we're doing well. And I kind of have an understanding of the heart of the clinical side. Mm-hmm. You know, what gives you the most satisfaction? What fuels you in this whole enterprise? There hasn't been a day in the last six years where I haven't wanted. I, that I couldn't wait, you know, mm-hmm. to get to work. I, I, I just love getting up and going to work because there is a chance that I might be able to create something that never existed before, you know, and that's what really does it for me. It's, it's unbelievable that, that there's a thrill that hasn't left me all these years where I just love to work with someone and, and create a device from nothing yeah you know that's, that's pretty special yeah it's it's uh it's nice to have it that simple that'll even fit on the back of a business card right. <laughs> and i bet you've made it look really slick too brandon sampson thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing your story it's so cool if you're near a limb lab shop stop in right should people yeah, come absolutely. and check it out we have people that you know walk in all the time and uh, we're happy to take a few minutes and show show you what what we do yeah that's great mm-hmm. i love how you've combined your passion and business and you're doing good in the world. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for listening to By All Means. Stick around. We're going back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. The artificial hand has some of the most advanced technologies now emerging. And to understand a little bit more about what's happening at the intersection of technology and healthcare, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Dan McLaughlin is the director of the Center for Innovation in the Business of Healthcare at the Opus College of Business. First of all, that's quite a title. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Dan. What can you tell us about machine learning as it relates to artificial limbs and nerves and, and all of this technical stuff? Well, one of the really fascinating things about this story that you told is that um, there's all this technology that's coming into the whole area of artificial limbs. And um, I think an exciting example is the artificial hand, where... Um, Surgeons will take an, an amputated limb and they'll go in and they'll take and connect the nerve tissue to the to the muscles, and then the artificial hand vendor will come in and they'll put a device on there and they'll ask the patient to think about grasping their hand, even though the, the hand's not there anymore. And then they'll do that a whole bunch of times, and that's where the machine learning comes in. So then the computer is running all these kind of fancy algorithms, and then they can eventually put on the artificial hand, and the patient will think about grasping their hand, and the artificial hand will grasp. Now. 
now. It's Amazing. not it's not as good as a real hand, but it's really getting better. Mm-hmm. And when you think about this technology, because there's the machine learning, kind of the algorithms, the fancy IT stuff, and then there's the robotics part of it, which is the little small motors that are running all this stuff. And so we kind of forget that robots are getting better all the time, too. And so the little machines inside the robots are getting better. And one of the areas that's kind of an emerging part of this is in agriculture. Because what? Yeah, because the folks that run particularly like fruit farms and big agricultural things where they need to be hand-picked vegetables, strawberries, for example, they can't get humans to do it anymore. So now they're investing huh. a lot in basically robotic pickers. And so they have the same question. Can they find the strawberry? Can they grasp it just carefully enough and put it into the, the cart? And so all these new technologies are running along. And so as we go back into healthcare, it's going to be a very exciting future. We're pretty excited here in the college business, too, because we've got a grant from the GHR Foundation that's allowing us to explore all these emerging technologies, and we're trying to take this stuff into the classroom. That is so cool. I mean, I just, I, I was so fascinated by what Brandon was telling us, and and the thought that he can build uh, a prosthetic based on what the person needs. Right. Not just, a, it's not just one size fits all. Exactly. And, and by having this computer doing this stuff, they're customizing it exactly to the individual. Wow. The other well, thing that's kind of cool is people are starting to look at that as Almost like special, something special, you know, like almost like I think like jewelry, like, oh, hey, look at my new artificial hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pretty it's a cool. a whole different way of looking at it. Right. We'll be fascinated to see what you turn up here at St. Thomas. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. I'm Allison Kaplan. And on behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.